from doing the, oh, I'm going to refrain. I mean, I want to. It's really cool. But um, I am rooting for the Chiefs today. I know I'm not wearing any red, but it's because I don't have any red. I have a, I have a Chiefs hoodie. I have a Chiefs hat. But if I were to wear a hoodie when I'm preaching, I would be soaked by the end of the day, and it would be very disgusting. So it's, it's for your benefit that I'm not wearing that hoodie this morning, okay? Um, but yes, let's go Chiefs. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited about that. A fun day ahead. So I don't know if you guys had this experience, but when 2020 hit and and COVID, the global pandemic, was in full swing, there was a unique phenomenon that happened throughout the country. And it was everyone holed up in homes created new hobbies, Right? So they found something to do because we, we need to be active. And so we were suddenly stuck at home. And I was in Denver at the time, which, I mean, they were on lockdown for a while. So, like, we could not do anything for months, and that was difficult. But um, people found different things to do. And so a lot of people did home projects, right? They, like, updated their bathroom, or there was, like, a huge influx of, of home projects happening. Um, but something that I thought was unique to Katie and I that we decided to do, and I found out a bunch of people ended up doing it, and so it wasn't as cool, but we decided that we wanted to plant a garden, right? And so it was the springtime. How many guys are gardeners? How many guys do you grow vegetables or garden? That's cool. I need to connect with you guys. Um, but we had this five by seven raised bed in our backyard. It's a huge garden bed, and it had water running to it already. And so we're like, well, that's awesome. And so we invested some money, probably more than we should have, and I put in drip irrigation system. We put a little path, like, in the middle, and I, like, I put strings out to where it was, like, you know, one-foot squares, you know, and there was, I don't know, a lot of them, and, and did the drip irrigation, got a greenhouse tent thing and put it over the five by seven. I'm like, we're going all in. We've never done this before, but we're doing it. And so we bought a bunch of seeds and we started from seed, like from the seed. And so we got these seedlings and we put them in these little peat pods. And I did so much research. This is just ridiculous. But we had our dining room table was our laboratory, you know, and so we had, because no, you know, it was COVID, so no one's coming over. And so we had these, uh, these fluorescent lights that were above the seedlings, like by four inches. And I created this device that I could raise, and it was ridiculous. And so um, we did that. A lot of them died. What do you know? Um, I think from overwatering. But we were vigilant, and we got our seedlings ready, and then we transferred them over. And that was a very 
you know, nerve-wracking process of transferring the seedlings to, like, the garden. Uh, and we lost a lot in that transfer as well. But we had more than enough. But we planted, we were very ambitious, okay? We were very ambitious. And so we planted a little bit of everything from, like, corn to watermelon to okra to Brussels sprouts to broccoli, cauliflower. I mean, sweet potatoes. We were all over the place, okay? And uh, for those of you guys who garden, you're like... Noob. So, um, so we planted all this stuff. But something that I realized that I didn't know, and there's a lot, there's a lot of things that I learned. Um, and we had some things that do really well, and some things that didn't naturally. Uh, but one thing I realized was that there are certain plants that can grow together, and that are actually it, it benefits them when they grow next to each other. They, they like feed off of each other and they help each other. And there are certain plants that you do not put next to each other, you know. And so we have this whole color-coded chart and everything, and it was interesting. But, um, but I learned that when you grow things together, certain plants, it, it does three different things. One is it keeps certain pests away if you plant certain things together. Another thing is it helps produce growth. It actually helps the plants grow faster when they're next to things that work well with them. And then also it makes the vegetables or the plants taste better and improves their taste as well. Uh, and we found that to be true uh, when we planted certain things next to each other. Um, and when they grow together, everyone benefits. Every one of the plants benefits from that process. And I found that to be true in my spiritual walk with Jesus as well. As a young person, when I was a teenager, I was in a really awesome youth ministry. And our youth pastor had a 12, like 12 disciples, you know. And so it was the 12 youth leaders. And I told you about this before, you know, our goal to, you know, win the whole world in nine years. It didn't work out. Um, But... We had a small group, and we led small groups, and we were in this 12. But what was so amazing about that is that we were growing together in the Lord. And what I meant by that is, is that we didn't just hang out together. We didn't just, like, have fun and stuff like that. We did that, but we spurred each other on. So I had someone, when, when God would speak something to my heart or I get a revelation in God's word, I would go to those people those youth, those teenagers that I was growing together with and be like, guys, man, man, I read this today. It was so cool. And they'd say, oh, man, that's awesome. This is what God told me. And, and we would spur each other on. We'd stir each other up. And we'd meet together for prayer early in the morning. We'd worship together. And we'd pray for each other. And we really grew a lot in a short period of time because we had people around us that were like-minded. And they were hungry for Jesus. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't just like, hey, I have someone who can, I can hang out with. No, I had someone who can inspire me to pursue Jesus. And I can do the same for them. And so it wasn't just that community connection. It was a collective growth and pursuit of God together. And that was priceless in my life. I wouldn't trade that for anything. It was such an incredible context to grow in my faith. Um, and we all grew together. And so the title of my message this morning is Growing Together. So let's, let's pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we come to you and, and our hearts are open to receive from what your spirit has to say. Okay, we know that your word is powerful and able to transform our lives. And so our hearts are open to you, God. Speak to us what you want to say, God. Grow us, plant seeds of faith in our hearts that will produce lasting fruit so that we can mature in you and grow 
collectively together. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, last week we finished out our vision series, and so today we are revisiting a series that we started last year, and I told you we'd come back to it in the book of Ephesians. You guys remember? So uh, we, we ended off uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. That was the last verse that we talked about um, last year, and so we're starting where we left off in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, but before we dive into that, I want to kind of look back a little bit to give us context. So we're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. And it says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul is talking about the unity of the faith, that we are united together as one. We talked about this. That's our church, that we are one with Jesus, one family, one on mission. Right? And it's the prayer of Jesus in John 17. So he's talking about this unity of the faith that we share together. And then in verse 7, he says, but, but, and we have to know why the buts are in the Bible. It's, it's very important. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So that word grace there, another word for it would be like a gift that God gave us a portion, a gift or a grace to each one of us. So Paul starts Ephesians chapter 4 talking about the unity of the body, right? All of us being united together with a common purpose, united around a common person, Jesus, and that we have one faith, one baptism, one spirit, all those different things. But then he says, but to each one of you, Grace has been given. So he says, yes, we are united together, but there is also a unique individual gift or grace that God has given each one of us individually. So every person in here, every one of you in here has something unique, a facet of God's image that is unique to you, and no person on the planet shares that. It is literally unique to, to your expression of God in this world. I mean, how cool is that? So there is a unique part of God, of his image, that is in you, a grace that has been given to you, an expression of who God is that's been given to you. So we are all called to unity, but not uniformity. So God's called us to be united, but we're not all going to be the same. And you guys know that. I mean, you're around a few people and you know they're different from you. <laughs> and we pick up on those differences really quickly. And I don't know if you guys have had this experience, but, you know, it, it, it's easier to connect with someone when they're like you because you, you know how they think and they think like you and you're like, man, I really like you. And the reason why we really like them is because they're like us. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> But it's, it's easy to connect with someone, right, who thinks how we think and, and kind of operates the, we, the way we operate. And it's funny because we always get married to someone who isn't like that at all, who's like a complete opposite of us, which is wonderful. God did that on purpose so we could grow, okay? It's so we can grow, guys. So he's called us to unity, but not 
uniformity. John Calvin said this. He said, no member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. Isn't that good? No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able without the assistance of others to supply his own necessities. God literally diversified the gifts that we need so that we would be mutually dependent. So that we would seek each other out in unity and in relationship and receive from one another. His intention was for, us, for, for none of us to be lone rangers, but to work with each other and receive from each other. But the American way is kind of the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It's the I got this mentality. You know, I got this. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't need help. I, I got it. You know, it's kind of like when I'm doing the dishes and Katie will come up and she'll start to help when I'm doing the dishes and I'll kind of look at her. What are you doing? I got it. I'm good. You know, <laughs> because, I, you know, everyone has their own way of doing stuff. Uh, and so, but I, I, there's something in me that I want to complete it. And I want to say that I did it. I completed the dishes all by myself. I'm a good boy. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> so there's this mentality we have of, hey, I got it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and get this thing done. And I remember one time, um, I have this. So my personality is, a, is, a, is like introvert, extrovert mix. I know you guys are like, whatever. There's no introvert in you. <laughs> Trust me. There is, so I get fueled up by being alone. Like when I'm alone and I, you know, re I'm reading a book or I'm spending time with the Lord or whatever it is, it, it helps fill me up. And I remember when we realized this, I was hanging out at Katie's uh, parents' house and we, it was like a holiday, you know, Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. And, and her family is very, very loud and boisterous and awesome and full of energy. And so we're all just kind of hanging out and talking and, ah, and there's a lot of noise. And then Katie looks around, and she doesn't see me anywhere. And she's like, wait, where did Neil go? You know, she goes back to the back room and opens the door, and there I am laying on a bed. I'm just laying there with my eyes open. I'm not sleeping. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just, I needed to get away a little bit. <laughs> and so I went on a silent retreat, and, uh, and I was super excited about it. It was at this, like, Jesuit retreat center. It was super cool, beautiful, beautiful place. And I just spent one night, like, it's an overnight thing. They have, like, rooms and stuff. And so I remember the first day was amazing. It was awesome, just hours of just in the Word and listening to the voice of God and journaling and beautiful views. And, and, uh, and it was great. And we, I, would, I would eat meals there. And it was funny when you're eating a meal at a silent retreat house because you're eating a meal across from someone at a table, but you're not talking to each other. And so you just kind of do this thing. You're like, you look at them and you're like, kind of just nod your head like that's like hello because you don't want to be rude so you're kind of like I acknowledge that you're here <laughs> you know and uh and so I spent the night and it was great the first day was wonderful the next morning I'm like I think I'm ready I think I'm ready to go and I thought I thought the first day I'm like man I could do this for like a month I could do this for months it'd be so awesome and then the very next day I'm like yeah I'm 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 good. Like, and I, I remember calling Katie when I was done and just like, blah, blah, like saying all this stuff over the phone for like an hour and a half straight. 
Um, so I thought I could do it, but I need other people in my life. We all need to. Now, some of you guys really could make it a month. Um, you're like, that sounds wonderful. Um, but we need each other because no one has it all. I know that we see some people that are really gifted and really talented, and we might look at them and be like, oh, man, you know, Patrick Mahomes. You know, like, wow, man, he just has it all. Like, he's got all these skills, all these talents. It's so amazing, man. Well, why didn't I get that? Like, man, I wish I had that. Like, I wish I could be like that person because they, they seem like God just endowed them with every spiritual blessing that there was, every talent, every skill, and what do I have? Right, but if we choose and we make it, make it up in our minds that we want to be like someone else, then we rob the body of Christ from the gift that is in us. Because you, as an individual, are the gift. I think, yes, God has put a skill, maybe a talent, but sometimes I think we get caught up in that, and the gift is you. Because when later on in verse 11, when he says that, that Jesus gave different gifts, he says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the event. He's talking about people. You're the gift. And if we try to imitate someone else and we're trying to be like someone else, then we're robbing the body of Christ from that gift and we're robbing the world of that gift. You are God's gift to the world. In a unique and a special way. So no one has it all. And listen, we've seen the people who have all the skills and all, all the gifts, right? And prominent, you know, Christian leaders. And when they go solo and they, they live in isolation and they push away their community and they don't have accountability, what do we see happen? We see a fall, right? Why? Because none of us can do it alone. No one. So no one has it all, and then no one is left out. Verse 7 says, to each one, every single one of you, is a gift from God to this world. So no one is left out. Christ apportioned the gifts. It says, as Christ apportioned them, in his infinite wisdom, he designed you as you are. <laughs> the gift that you are to this world, it's his wisdom. So if you, if you need to talk to someone about it, that'd be him. <laughs> Lord, what's, what's in me? What did you do? What were you thinking? He knows what he was thinking. And he is pleased. Just like in Genesis when God created everything in the world, he says he saw it, he saw what he made and that it was good, it was good, it was good. And then it said he made man and woman in his image. And he said, and it was what? Very good. Very good. And so that's you. Very good. So then Paul goes on uh, in verse 11 to talk about some of these gifts that he's given. In verse 11 of chapter 4, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the fivefold ministry giftings. So the apostles, for instance, were Apostolos means sent ones. They were the ones that were sent. They went out and they preached the gospel and planted churches like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and, and different 
different members of the 12. They planted churches. They preached the gospel. They had signs and wonders and miracles uh, that were there to testify to and to, uh, to prove the truth of what they were teaching and in their messages. Uh, and so God used apostles to plant churches. And it wasn't just the 12. There were other apostles as well, as well that Paul refers to. So you have the apostles. You have the prophets who had the gift of utterance. So they, could, they would speak. And I think there's people today that are gifted speakers that have kind of a prophetic gift. Like they have this ability to speak that's just incredible and it's powerful. And it brings conviction. Prophecy can bring conviction. Um, and it also brings encouragement. Uh, the Bible says that when you prophesy, it speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So it builds up, it encourages, and it comforts. Prophetic words. So you have the prophets, and then you have evangelists, which there's only two references to an evangelist in the New Testament. There is this verse, and there's two others, where uh, it references Philip as an evangelist in Acts, and then Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, in uh, 2 Timothy 4. And so there's only a couple of references, but most scholars believe this is the ministry of the gospel. It's the preaching of the good news. And people who are gifted to do so. Uh, so evangelist, and then pastor is a shepherd. Right, that's what pastor means. Literally, a shepherd. Shepherding the sheep, the people of God. And then lastly, teacher, which is self-explanatory. <laughs> they have the gift of teaching. So the fivefold ministry gifts, and there's a lot we could say about that. We're not going to dive into those today. But the reason why those five gifts were given were for what purpose? To equip his people for works of service or the work of the ministry. So the fivefold ministry giftings were to equip who? Us, the saints, to equip us to do the work of the ministry. So who's doing the work of the ministry? The saints. We are. But the fivefold ministry gifts were to equip, which that word equips is literally like giving tools, like, like having a tool belt, and they're giving you the tools that you need to do the job, right? You need a hammer, you need nails, you need things. So those callings are, are to give us those tools that we need so then we can do the work of the ministry, which is what? The great commandment, the great commission, loving God, loving others, making disciples of all nations, preaching the gospel, that we are all called to that work. So not everyone has been given these gifts, the five gifts, but everyone is given a special gift or grace. We saw that in verse 7. And the purpose of these gifts that God has given us, every single one of us, you as a gift, the purpose of that we find in verse 12, it says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So we do the work of ministry so the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow! The whole measure of the fullness of Christ, gaining maturity. So our gifts were given to build up the church and help it reach maturity. To build up the church and help it reach maturity. Maturity. So we want to build up the church. We, we want to see the church grow. So we want to see it grow numerically. We want to see people come to know Christ. Absolutely. And we want to see it grow spiritually. To grow deeper in God. And to, for it to reach its maturity. So it's funny because we are a part of the church. But when we use the gifts that God's given us to serve one another, then we help the church as a whole grow into maturity. Isn't that awesome? So we receive from the use of our own gift. The purpose of a gift is to be given, right? So the gift isn't meant to be enjoyed 
for ourselves. It's meant to be given and shared with others. So we're all called to this work. Every one of us is called to the work of the ministry. Every single saint is called to build up the church and help it reach maturity, a collective purpose. So what does that look like? So Ephesians chapter 4 goes on to describe what maturity, spiritual maturity, looks like. And first we see in verse 13 that becoming mature is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Or maturity is ultimately Christ-likeness. That's what it is. In the, in the simplest of terms, it's, it's being like Jesus, right? So that is maturity. And, and the Bible says that that's our destiny. Romans 8.29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed into the image of God's Son. Our destiny is to be like Jesus. And that's exciting. That's an awesome destiny that we have, that we can reflect Christ, truly reflect him in all of his goodness and grace. Man, that's awesome. So what are the signs of maturity? The first sign that we see is unity. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So unity in our faith, that we share the belief in Jesus as the Son of God, as our Savior and our Lord, in the atoning work of the cross, in the resurrection of Christ, in the reigning power of Jesus, that we are united together on those fronts. And then we, we exalt those things, the things that unite us together, right? And it brings us closer together. We major on the majors instead of majoring on minors. Instead of, instead of majoring on things that we might differ in, we major on the things that we share collectively together. The biggest core fundamental truths of our faith. And so we focus on those and we are united in our faith and, it says, in the knowledge of the Son of God. They were united together in the knowledge of the Son of God. And that word knowledge there, Francis Focal said this, he said, we can never know any person simply with our mind. In knowledge of such a person as envisaged here must involve the deepest possible fellowship. Whether the goal can be realized in this life or not is irrelevant. The point is that the Christian is to press forward with no lesser ambition than this. This is human life as it is intended to be. An intimacy and a deep knowledge of Jesus and that's where having those relationships with each other, like when I was a teenager, having someone that I can go to and be excited about Jesus with. Not just excited about life, but excited about Jesus with. And then they can inspire that in me and I can inspire that in them. And then we can collectively grow together. So unity. And then what's awesome about all these different gifts that God has diversified among us is our diversity promotes and encourages unity because it promotes mutual dependence. So we draw closer to each other because we realize our need for one another because there's things that you have that I don't have. There's things that are in you that I need. There's things that are in me that you need. And so the diversity actually draws us closer together and unites us, which is awesome. This is why it's good for us to pursue diverse relationships in our lives. The more diversity, the, the more opportunity we have to learn something we don't know. Right? If you're with someone who's had a different life experience than you have, 
then the chances are you're probably going to learn something different from them that you wouldn't have learned from your own experience because we only have our own experience to pull from. But if we surround ourselves with the body of Christ, with people with a variety of different gifts and different life experiences, then we can learn and grow collectively together. That's why it's so important to have diversity in our relationships because we learn from people. And then our wisdom and our maturity grows. We grow in maturity the more and more we learn from the variety of different people's experiences around us and in our wisdom. A big piece of maturity is the ability to see life from multiple vantage points. A big part of maturity is being able to see life through a variety of different vantage points. That's why older, we kind of look at older people and we say, hey, they're more mature. Why? Because they've lived every season of life. They've seen the world as a kid. They've seen the world as an adolescent. They've seen the world as a young adult. They've seen the world as, you know, a young married or, or whatever, uh, or as, as someone who's been retired. And so they've seen life from all of these different vantage points. And so there's things we can learn from them. There's things that we can glean from those experiences they've, that they've had that we have not had. And so that's part of growing together is leaning into that. There's so many different things that we can learn from different people, including hardships. I don't know about you guys, but the people in my life that, that still are faithful to the Lord, but they've been through some really, really hard times are some of the most mature people I know. They've been through it. And I can I have a lot to learn from them. There's a friend of mine uh, who's really, cl- I just have the utmost respect for. Uh, his wife went, had a number of years of just a debilitating chronic pain. I mean, like, just debilitating. She couldn't do anything. Like, just completely, for years, I'm talking like a decade. And they had kids, you know, and everything else, and... And it was just so hard. They were praying for healing, praying for all these different things, trying different things. Um, But they remain faithful. They're faithful to the Lord, and they they loved Jesus, and they loved each other. And that man, when I sit with him, there is something that's in him. There is a maturity, a way of seeing the world that is so deep, and it goes beyond comfort. And it goes beyond the surface level because he's had to dig deep in his life. And so his roots, you can just tell when you communicate with him. There's like, man, how do you, because he just drops these little nuggets of wisdom. You're like, wow, those are so great, you know. How'd How'd he get that? He went through some really, really hard stuff. But man, there's a lot that I can learn from him because I haven't had those experiences. So our diversity actually helps promote unity. We grow together in maturity as we learn from each other and we receive from the gifts of those people. All right, so unity is number one. Number two, stability is a sign of maturity, Ephesians 4.14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So these waves that draw us and we're just unstable. Uh, uh, James chapter 1 talks about uh, let, let a man not doubt in his heart because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
And so it's the doubts, it's, it's, it's believing lies and then believing truth and, and then having competing values from this world and from the kingdom of God. And so it's instability that it's talking about here. And the specific idea it's referring to is not allowing ourselves to be led astray by people's justification for harmful behavior and for destructive behavior. People justifying behavior that's destructive in our lives. And listen, it's not like the big stuff that we know is destructive. Like we, okay, well, we know that doing drugs is destructive. We know, you know, sex outside of marriage is destructive. We know, there's certain things we know. So the enemy's not stupid. He's not going to tempt us with things like that are overtly destructive. He's going to tempt us with little subtle things. The, The cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting and scheming. And so he'll throw in little lies of you're not enough or you need to do more or God's not pleased with you. You, you should do this or, you know, it's okay to overwork. It's okay to, it's okay, it's okay to, to self-medicate. You know, you've had a long day. It's okay. You don't have to be present to your kids because, you know, you need a break. You know, or what, and just little things, and he'll find little cracks and, and ways to, to get us to believe a lie. And then we start, you f- we find ourselves being tossed to and fro by competing values. The values of the world and the values of the kingdom of God. And so maturity is stability. It's saying, okay, I'm not going to be tossed to and fro. I know the values of God's kingdom, and I'm being steadfast for that. But the thing is, is that we don't see our blind spots. We need each other. We don't see the blind spots, right? We can go on and be believing a lie, some one of those subtle things, because they're subtle. It's hard. That's why we need someone else, because we might not be aware of that thing that we're doing. We might not be aware that what we're actually doing is gossiping when we're thinking we're sharing prayer requests. You know what I mean? We might not be aware of that. We might be aware of that. (laughs) But we might not be aware of that. And so we need people around us who love us enough to say something. We need each other so that we're not being tossed to and fro and we're standing on Christ together two are better than one because if one falls down the other can what pull them back up we need each other so the number three the third sign of maturity is truth in love truth in love ephesians 4 15 instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ Accountability comes in community, and we have to care enough to say something. If we see something destructive in someone's life, we have to care enough to step out and to say something, but be careful, because we need to speak the truth in love. In love. Listen, sometimes it seems as though, and, and the world can hold this against the church, that they're all speaking the truth, but they're beating the truth over their heads, like shoving it down their throats and just stabbing people with the truth, you know? And it's like just visceral and just aggressive truth. And the thing is, is that we can say it over and over again. We can speak truth over and over and over and over again. 
and we can speak truth louder and louder and louder, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be received. Right? We can be louder, but if you turn up music really loud, eventually you can't enjoy it anymore. It just hurts. Right? Just like hot food. You know, like spicy food's good to a degree, and then there's a degree where it's not good anymore. It's just painful. Same thing with volume. And even speaking truth. It can get so loud where all we're doing is just hurting people. And they just, they just want to close the door off completely to us. But when we speak the truth in love, it's like the liquid gel cap to NyQuil. Right? When you take NyQuil, the, the, like the liquid, it's, it, I can't do it. It's, if I smell it, I'm like, right? My kids will take it. I'm like, don't take it over there. But the gel, you know, it's like taking the medicine, but you're putting it in the gel cap so it's easy to swallow. The truth in love, love, love is the motivation. That's why we speak the truth in the first place. So if that's the why, then it should definitely be the how, Right? Look at what Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy about correcting someone. 2 Timothy 2.23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Social media, anybody? (laughs) Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Wow, can we just take that? (laughs) The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Dang but must be kind to who? Everyone. Able to teach, not what? Resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed. Gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil He's taking them captive to do his will. So how are we communicating? And listen, communication, they did a study about um, what are the most important aspects of communication. And so they were talking about our words, like the words that we're saying, our behavior, what we do, our attitudes, right? And it's amazing the disparity between the, the different ones. Our words like make up 3% of our communication. Like what we actually say, the words. Our attitude, 63%. Let me give you an example. I love you so much. You know what I mean? Like, I am not communicating love at all. I'm saying it, but you know what I'm saying. I'm upset with you. I don't like you right now. And that is very clear communication. But I didn't say any of those words because our tone and our attitude are the primary voices people hear. That's the primary voice. So when we want to speak the truth in love, we have to remember the primary voice we have is our tone. It's our attitude. What are we, and that goes back to the why. Why am I saying anything in the first place? Is it because I love someone? Or is it because I want to be right? Or is it, what is it? Is it to exalt myself? Why am I doing that? It goes back to the why. So that's so important. 
And we understand that in speaking the truth in love. We need truth and we need love both. We need a clean air environment, truth. We need that desperately as believers in a polluted world. We need a clean air environment where we can hear what is true, the word of God in people's lives, in, in relationships with them. But we also need an environment full of humility, empathy, and kindness in a harsh world. So this all culminates with verse 16. I'm going to close with this, Ephesians 4, 16. It all comes together. So we have unity, stability, truth, and love. And it culminates with verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The NLT says this, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Man, that sounds awesome. Healthy, growing, and full of love. That happens when each of us take the gifts that God's given us, that you are the gift, right? And we use it in the service of each other, in the service of Jesus, the way he ordained for us to use those gifts. Then the other parts grow. I grow when you use your gift and you do your special work. You grow when I do my special work, what God's called me to do. We grow together when we do our special work, and then the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. It creates a context for which we can grow into maturity. It's like the garden, right? The greenhouse kept the pests out, the squirrels out, the birds out, right? All those things. Oh, those are annoying when you have a garden, right? But it also kept out the elements, the snow, the rain, the sleet, the hail, and it created a safe and warm environment for those plants to flourish and to grow and to bear fruit that tastes good, <laughs> right? When we're surrounded by the refuge of God's family, the waves of deception can't touch us. All the storms, like it talked about in verse 14, being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by competing values. Those things can't touch us when we're surrounded by the refuge of the family of God. When we're in relationships with people where we've built bridges of trust strong enough that they can hold the weight of truth. They don't collapse. We can speak into each other's lives. When we have unity, stability, and truth and love, then all of those subtle cunning craftiness of the enemy can't get to us because we've got people who can see our blind spots and who are there to help us because we have one another. We have a safe place to grow into maturity. Healthy things grow, right? Healthy things grow. And our goal is health. We want to be healthy. That's what we want. We want to be healthy as a body. And our aim is Christ-likeness but we need each other. Amen? And that's why, we, that's why we do groups. That's why we're doing this today, because we need each other. And we need each other here, sure, but we also need each other in a place where we can build that relationship of trust, right? Because it doesn't just happen by hanging out here and there or chatting before and after service. It happens when we really share life together. Building trust takes time, and it takes consistent presence 
consistent presence is what builds the bridge of trust so that we can speak the truth in love. You don't just do it to someone that you just met. Hey, how you doing? Well, I think I see a blind spot in your life. What's your name, by the way? <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> so we have to build those relationships. So our value as a church is community, choosing faithfulness and patience with a group of believers. That's one of our values. Choosing faithfulness, it's a choice to be consistently present in someone's life. So the question is, are you going to choose faithfulness? And I'm not saying choose faithfulness to a meeting, to like a group getting together on Tuesday nights. I'm talking about choosing faithfulness to the people in the group, to the person sitting across from you. I'm choosing to be faithfully present in your life so that we can trust each other and we can grow together. I'm choosing faithfulness and patience because we need patience with imperfect people. Guess, guess how many people are imperfect in this room? Everybody! All right, so my encouragement is this. Sign up for a group. If you're in a group, awesome, great, wonderful. Love it. Uh, stick with it. Sign up for a group. Start cultivating these relationships in that way that is unique. Um, be faithful here. Come. Come to church on Sundays. Be faithful as much as you can. Be present with other people. Choose faithfulness and consistent presence. And then sign up for a group. Show up. So sign up, show up, and stick with it. Those are the three things. Sign up, show up to the first meeting, and then stick with it. If you show up and there's like two other people there, just stick with it. If you show up and everyone's older than me, stick with it. Show up and everyone's younger than me, stick with it. Just stick with it. Because consistent presence, that's how we're going to build these bridges of trust. And what's amazing is the more diversity, like there's an intergenerational group out back there. That's awesome. You know, Katie and I, the sellers are leading that. Katie and I were in a group like that for four years. We had people that were in their 70s. We had couples that had just had their kids graduate high school and were in college. We had, there was us who had kids in elementary. There was another couple who had just had a baby. There was like, and it was a variety. And there was a, a single um, woman in her 50s. And there was, but it was amazing. It was an amazing group because we learned from each other. I was able to talk to the parents and be like, okay, this next season of life. Help me, you know, <laughs> help me out. It's awesome. So sign up, show up, stick with it, and let's just see what God does. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. You can stand to your feet and we'll pray, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go back and connect with our group leaders. They're going to be back there. Make sure, even if you're in a group, go thank our group leaders for leading because it's a, it's a sacrifice to do that. So, Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, we love you. You're so good. And so, Father, thank you for all the incredible gifts of every single person in this room, a unique, diverse expression of who you are in each individual. Lord, we celebrate that today. Lord, we celebrate that. And, Father, help us live in consistent community, consistent presence with each other. Help us commit to faithfulness and patience with a group of believers and grow the way you've called us to grow in unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and to full maturity. We love you and bless you in Jesus' name. And Lord, you know, bless the Chiefs today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you guys. Group leaders, you can go back to the tables, everyone. Grab some food back there. There's going to be food back there. Mingle, hang out for a little bit. The Chiefs don't start till 530. You're good. Love you guys. Go Chiefs.